Greetings, friends and brethren in the Lord. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly, exceedingly great joy. Well, I have a topic I want to talk to you about that I feel is very important. Of course, if you've listened to me for any length of time, I think every topic is important. But this topic is a prerequisite. And the reason I want to talk to you about this topic, which is prayer, is because National Day of Prayer is right around the corner. We will be celebrating National Day of Prayer all across the country on Thursday, May the 3rd, the first Thursday in May. And I'm excited, exceedingly excited, because I am in a new position as the West Virginia State Coordinator for National Day of Prayer. So I have the whole state of West Virginia. My primary responsibility is Charleston. That's our seat of government. So I will be in Charleston on May the 3rd at noon to have our National Day of Prayer event. James writes to us from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 16, 17, and 18. He says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And Elijah prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. I believe in those scriptures, James is telling us that, yes, Elijah was a prophet. He was pretty awesome prophet. You know, he went to heaven in the whirlwind of a chariot. But James said, you know, he's, he's just like you and I. He has a nature just like us. He prayed earnestly, and God answered the prayer. But this is the scripture that I think we need to highlight and underline. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. That means it's going to produce a lot of fruit. Prayer, you know, prayer is hard work. Alexander, excuse me, Eric Alexander once said that we make a mistake when we think of praying for God's work to be done. We don't pray for the work, he said. Prayer is the work. And prayer is hard work. It takes your time. It takes your energy. And if you're really into deep intercession, I assure you it's going to take time and energy. But the reward, see, the righteous man avails much. The reward of the prayer is that you will avail much. And that's the great part about prayer. So I want to take a moment to talk to you about the history of National Day of Prayer. I feel this is really important because a lot of people don't even understand about National Day of Prayer. Because of the faith of many, many, many of our founding fathers, public prayer and National Day of Days of Prayer have a long-standing and a significant history in American tradition. 
The Supreme Court affirmed the right of state legislatures to open up their sessions with prayer in Marsh versus Chambers, 1983. National Day of Prayer is a vital part of our heritage. Since the first call to prayer, listen to me, the first call to prayer in 1775, when the Continental Congress asked the colonies to pray for wisdom in forming a nation, the call to prayer has continued throughout our history, including President Lincoln's proclamation of a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer in 1863. I want to stop there for just a second because we've had recent presidents ask for a day of prayer. But to be honest, I don't ever remember George W. Bush asking for a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And that's where it gets a little edgy because, you know, People don't want to fast. You know, we live in a society that has has evolved or it, I, I don't know the right word. We've changed. We've somehow lost some of our real traditional roots regarding prayer, church, God, what we believe. Fasting is a very crucial part of prayer. And Lincoln asked for that. In fact, during his presidency, nine times, yes, nine times, President Lincoln called our nation to prayer. Well, in 1952, a joint resolution by Congress, signed by President Truman, declared an annual National Day of Prayer. I'm going to read to you This is uh, House Resolution 382, Joint Resolution, Public Law 324, to provide for setting aside an appropriate day as a national day of prayer. Resolved by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America in Congress assembled that the President shall set aside and proclaim a suitable day each year other than a Sunday as a national day of prayer on which people of the United States may turn to God in prayer and meditation at churches, in groups, and as individuals. And this was approved April the 17th, 1952. Then, years later, in 1988, the law was amended and signed by President Reagan, permanently setting the day as the first Thursday of every May. So each year, the President of the United States signs a proclamation encouraging all Americans to pray on this day. And last year, all 50 state governors plus the governors of several U.S. territories signed similar proclamations. The National Day of Prayer has great significance for us as a nation. It enables us to recall and to teach the way in which our founding fathers sought the wisdom of God when faced with critical, condi- critical decisions. It stands as a call to us 
to humbly come before God, seeking His guidance for our leaders and His grace upon us as a people. The unanimous passage of the bill establishing the National Day of Prayer as an annual event signifies that prayer is as important to our nation today as it was in the beginning. And you know, for all of those folks who say that, you know, America is not a Christian nation, we weren't founded on Christian principles, I just shared with you that when the Continental Congress convened in 1775, there was a call to prayer to ask the colonies to pray for wisdom in forming our nation. So I don't want to hear any of this crazy stuff by the left, by atheists, by whomever, secular humanist groups that we're not a Christian nation. That's just bunk. So let me go on. Like Thanksgiving or Christmas, the National Day of Prayer has become a national observance placed on all har- on all hallmark calendars and observed annually across the nation and in Washington, D.C. And I have to stop there again because it took years and years and years and years of trying to get that on the Hallmark calendars. You can find Kwanzaa Day. You can find all kinds of crazy days on those calendars. And we had to fight, fight, fight to just get National Day of Prayer on the calendar. Seems a little ludicrous to me, but just thought you might want to know. Last year, local, state, and federal observances were held from sunrise in Maine to sunset in Hawaii, uniting Americans from all socioeconomic, political, and ethnic backgrounds in prayer for our nation. It is estimated that more than 2 million people attended more more than 40,000 observances organized by approximately 14,000-plus volunteers at state capitals, county courthouses, on the steps of city halls and in schools, businesses, churches, and homes, people stopped their activities and gathered for prayer. You see, the National Day of Prayer is ours. The National Day of Prayer belongs to all Americans. It is a day that transcends differences, bringing together citizens from all backgrounds. Our former National Day of Prayer chairperson, Mrs. Shirley Dobson, has reminded us we have lost many of our freedoms in America because we have been asleep. I feel if we do not become involved and support the annual National Day of Prayer, we could end up forfeiting this freedom too. And I must say amen to that. I want to share with you the National Day of Prayer Task Force Statement of Faith. And I want to explain something to you right up front here. As I've just shared with you, National Day of Prayer is an observance for all Americans. That means whether you believe in God or you don't. Whether you believe in Buddha, whether your faith is Hinduism, whether your faith is Islam, 
you can pray on the National Day of Prayer. But the National Day of Prayer Task Force, which is a 501c3 organization, has organized to mobilize unified public prayer for America. That's the mission of the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Now, they have a statement of faith, and this is what they believe. We believe the Bible to be the inspired, the only infallible, authoritative word of the living God. We believe that there is one God, eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Lord is the creator of all things in heaven and on earth. All things have been given through him and for him. We believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his virgin birth, in his sinless life, in his miracles, in his vicarious and atoning death through his shed blood, in his bodily resurrection, in his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and in his personal return in power and glory. We believe that for the salvation of lost and sinful man, regeneration by the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. We believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit, by whose indwelling the Christian is enabled to live a godly life. We believe in the resurrection of both the saved and the lost, they that are saved unto resurrection of life, and they that are lost unto the resurrection of damnation. We believe in the spiritual unity of believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. So that is the statement of faith for the National Day of Prayer Task Force. And I need to just take a drink because I got a tickle in my throat. Excuse me. Now I'm going to share with you the vision and values of the National Day of Prayer Task Force. I think this is important for you to understand because there are going to be many observances across the nation on National Day of Prayer. There's certainly going to be one here in Wheeling. So let me just take a minute to tell you about it. In Wheeling, West Virginia, our observance is going to be on May 3rd at 6.30 p.m. at the Pine Room in Ogilvy Park. And of course, we will be praying for our nation, for our state of West Virginia and our local city of Wheeling. So we encourage everybody, everybody that can gather in Wheeling, please come to our event on May the 3rd, Thursday, 6.30 p.m., the Pine Room at Ogilvy Park. Please join us this year. It's a very, very important year for prayer. So the vision and values of the National Day of Prayer Task Force, and it is our local task force that is organizing this prayer gathering, okay? They seek to foster unity within the Christian church, protect America's constitutional freedoms to gather, worship, pray, and speak freely, to publicize and preserve America's Christian heritage, encourage and emphasize prayer, regardless of current issues, regardless, I'm going to highlight that, regardless of current issues and positions, respect 
all people, regardless of denomination or creed. Be wise stewards of God's resources and provision. And lastly, to glorify the Lord in word and deed. Now, who exactly are we, this National Day of Prayer Task Force, of which obviously I'm a part of as the state coordinator for West Virginia. And just so you understand, I am under the authority of a national area, area leader. And my national area leader is Mrs. Nancy Sharman. She's from Culpeper, Virginia. And I'm part of six states. And we are a cohesive group of coordinators, the Ohio coordinator, West Virginia, me, um, Delaware, Maryland, North Carolina, Virginia, and I think Rhode Island. Is that six? Okay. So we all report to Mrs. Nancy Sharman. She's our national area leader who then reports to Mrs. Lisa Crump, who is in charge of prayer mobilization for the whole um, organization. So who are we and what do we do? Well, the National Day of Prayer is an annual observance, as I shared, held on the first Thursday of May, inviting people of all faiths to pray for the nation. See, you can be Hindu, Muslim, whatever, but we invite everybody. This is a day of prayer for our nation. It was created in 1952, as I read to you, by a joint resolution of the United States Congress and signed into law by President Harry S. Truman. Our task force is a privately funded organization whose purpose is to encourage participation on the National Day of Prayer. It exists to communicate with every individual the need for personal repentance and prayer to create appropriate materials and to mobilize the Christian community to intercede for America's leaders and its families. The task force represents a Judeo-Christian expression of the national observance based on our understanding that this country, I'm going to highlight that, listen to this, Our task force represents a Judeo-Christian expression of the national observance based on our understanding that this country, the United States of America, was birthed in prayer, birthed in prayer, and in reverence for the God of the Bible. So, I just want you to get that. I want you to tell people that our nation was birthed in prayer. We became America, the United States of America, because of prayer. Remember what I just read to you out of James 5. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. Okay, now I want to share something important so that you do have a clear understanding about these National National Day of Prayer 
observance events that are put on by the National Day of Prayer Task Force. And by the way, our task force is located in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Under the direction and president of Dr. Ronnie Floyd. Now, we have an official statement on participation of those who do not have a uh, Judeo-Christian belief. And it's simply this. You are free to believe whatever you want to believe in America. But as far as the task force, we do not allow anybody who is not, um, who does not believe in the Judeo-Christian principles to be an actual participant of prayer in our gatherings. And, you know, when, when the National Day of Prayer was, was, came into being, um, obviously they knew that there was diversity in our nation. And, um, you know, everyone, everyone can pray. But at our National Day of Prayer Task Force gatherings, we will only allow people who have the same Christ, Judeo-Christian system of values. So I just want to make that clear for you. You know, one of the great ways that you can participate and you don't have to come to a National Day of Prayer gathering, there are lots of ways that you can initiate a prayer gathering for National Day of Prayer to pray for our nation, pray for your city. And one of the great ways to do that is using the Lord's Prayer as a pattern. You know, Martin Luther's consistent answer when asked how to pray was this. He said, use the Lord's Prayer. It's because the Lord's Prayer provides a great outline for balanced strategic prayer. So I want to take you through that quickly. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, God is more than just my Father. He's our Father, the Father of all believers, and ultimately, as Creator, the Father of all people. Jesus' prayer was always meant to be a prayer primarily concerned with the needs of a community rather than with our personal needs although our personal needs are certainly part of the community's needs. As a result, using the Lord's Prayer to pray for our city or our nation is a fitting application. This opening petition recognizes a balance in our relationship with God. See, He is our Father, an intimate, personal relationship made possible through Jesus' death on the cross. At the same time, he is in heaven while we are on earth. We are meant to be intimate, but not familiar with this God who is at once our Father and also the Lord of the universe. And this is an important context for prayer, reminding us that prayer is not about us, but about God. The next verse says, Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
These two petitions, they can be synonymous, but it can help to think of them as two different areas for prayer to help us pray more completely. We can think of God's kingdom coming to the lives of unbelievers and of his will being done in the lives of believers. Certainly, either petition could apply to both believers and seekers, and we make this distinction to help us organize our prayers. Praying for God's kingdom to come would include prayer for the outreach and missions efforts of churches in our community. You know, we pray that God's word preached will draw seekers to himself, that God's love and grace would be apparent to the community, and that lives would be changed for eternity. We pray for fruit from the missions initiatives of our churches. We can certainly pray specifically for unsaved neighbors, co-workers, community leaders, business leaders, uh, clergy. God's will is done in the lives of his people as we reflect his glory, as we grow in the character of Christ and we bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. His will is done in his church as we live in unity, grace, and love, and as we meet one another's needs and encourage each other in spiritual growth. So we can pray for spiritual formation in the lives of believers and for revival in our churches. Several passages can inform our prayers in this segment, passages such as the vine and the branches from John 15, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5:22, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's exhortation to humility in Philippians 2, and transformation passages such as Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17, and Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Next, give us this day our daily bread. So we ask God to meet the needs of our community, knowing that it is his will to provide. And we ask him to care for people in ways that honor his name. Recalling the first request of the prayer, hallowed be your name. Two thoughts guide our petitions here. First, we admit that we cannot provide for ourselves and that we depend on God for our sustenance. We trust him to care for us and for others because he is a loving and gracious God. Second, we trust that God is answering because he promises that he will. His answer may not be what we envisioned, but it's his answer. By turning our community's needs over to God, we give him the freedom to respond to those needs in ways that honor him and provide the greatest benefit. Like Paul, responding to God's refusal to remove his thorn in the flesh, we accept and rejoice in God's answer because it is his answer. Next, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Sin is a universal condition. Forgiveness is a universal need, and both forgiveness for our sins and a spirit of forgiveness toward those who have sinned against us. Forgiveness does not come naturally, however. We need God's supernatural work in our hearts to produce forgiving spirits. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This may seem odd at first because we know that God doesn't tempt us. 
Now, there's a couple of ways to think of this first petition in this segment, that God would lead us away from temptation by giving us discernment to make the right decisions, and that he would lead us away from the trial. So our prayers focus on guidance and protections, and we can pray these prayers over our churches, our civic leaders, and others in the community. And lastly, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Because God is king, he is sovereign. He answers our petitions as he chooses. We come to him not with demands, but requests. God does not owe us the answers we seek. He's our king, not our servant. What he grants, he grants out of his grace, not out of obligation. Because God is all-powerful, we can trust him to do what is best for our community. He is able to do immeasur- immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that works within us. Because the glory is God's, our prayers are ultimately prayers for God's glory. So I hope that gives you a little sense of what I'm talking about regarding National Day of Prayer, the importance of praying for our communities, our cities, our states, the nation of America. And with that, I'll just conclude today and bless you. Shalom, shalom. Peace be unto you. And you can go to my website, www.pureheart.today, and listen to this podcast again.